So this evening, we will be continuing our studies in the second book of Timothy. This book was written by the Apostle Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy, from his deathbed in a Roman prison. This evening, we'll be finishing up chapter 2, putting us halfway through the fourth chapter book. Last week, RJ kicked us off with uh, Paul encouraging and charging Timothy to work hard to receive God's stamp of approval as a good worker. We're to avoid sinful behavior, correctly teaching the Word of God while avoiding worthless and foolish talk. Talk that turns people from their faith like false doctrines and false teachings do. In these remaining verses of chapter 2, we will continue to explore how to be a good worker for our commanding officer, Christ. We'll jump right in and open up to chapter 2 and verse 20. But in the great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. If you come over to my house for dinner and I got out two cups, one from the dirty dishwater and one fresh clean one from the china cabinet, which one would you find me? Which one would you drink from? Would you consider even for a minute drinking from the dirty cup? I don't think you would. If I was always starting in trouble in the church, starting arguments, or showing up drunk, if I had a foul mouth every time you talked to me, would you have any value in my insight? It's not likely you have good judgment. You say, whoa, something's not right with this guy. And anything I see at that point would dishonor Christ. My actions do not reflect who Christ is. So moving on now in verse 21, Paul begins to show us how we can be an honorable, honorable vessel for God's use. Let's read. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. So amongst God's people, there will be useful ones to honor him, and there will be useless ones to bring him dishonor. And we've talked a lot about salvation so, so far throughout this, this book, and so we know that it's given freely. When we accept Christ and the work that He did on the cross, we're forgiven for our sins for eternity. The Holy Spirit resides in us, and therefore He cannot deny it. However, what we do with this grace, it dictates how God can use us. Notice it said, You keep yourself good. Well, God washed away our sins, but it's up to us to continue to be a clean vessel for his use, to bring him honor. To bring him honor, we must empty ourselves completely, clean our cup, and we remain pure, so that God then can be able to begin to fill that cup with himself and overflow it into other people's lives. God won't quench the thirst of others with a dirty dishwater cup. 
just like if you came over to my house, I wouldn't do that to you. It may just be a We're to be like the farmer. The farmer works day and night, humbly, but he's the first to receive the fruits of his labor. His cup gets filled first. With all the abundance from the fruits of his labor, we get to enjoy We have to allow ourselves to be clean and pure so that we can be filled and then fill others. We're to first study and learn of Christ, teach of Christ, so that others may have salvation in the same as well. Moving on to verse 22, Paul continues to show us how we can empty our cup of dirty water and clean it for God's use. Fasten your seatbelts, though, we're going to be in this verse for a while. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure heart. That first word there, run. Typically seen as a physical activity. You move your legs fast so that you can move fast. And while there are sometimes places in our lives where we actually need to run, as Joseph did when his master's wife wanted to sleep with him. That's not the entire intent of the message. Paul is talking about the results of running. He's talking about putting distance between you and what you're running from. It's a very intentional thing that you have to do every single day. And if you were to go down a dark alleyway and some thugs came out of nowhere with a gun, you would run. And that's great. You definitely do that. But wouldn't it be better if you put distance from the situation altogether? Like, I don't know, don't go down a dark alleyway in the middle of the night. You have good instincts, and your instincts would say, whoa, this looks a little shady. So just avoid those things altogether. Don't allow yourself to get, to get close to sin and keep your distance, or trouble will come. Notice what it says next now. It says we are to pursue. This word run is followed by the word pursue. We shouldn't just find ourselves running, but we should be pursuing or heading the direction of righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Now, the dictionary defines pursue as to find or employ measures to obtain or accomplish, to proceed along a course, and to engage in. It's a very interesting word. very intentional about proceeding along this course by employing measures to do it successfully. In this case, righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. If you're pursuing a college degree, you're not just following a structured path. You're, you're engaging with other students. You're actively listening to your teachers. You're following the rules and you're studying day in and out, day out, even sometimes sacrificing fun things in order to accomplish what you set out to do. Every day you're making an intentional effort of pursuing and going after your degree. In this same manner, you should be pursuing righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Intentionally employing measures. Measures like word study or prayer. Putting into practice what you learned. But we're all guilty of confusing knowledge with wisdom. I know I'm to forgive people for the sins against me, but doing it takes a lot of practice. 
even sometimes fail. But like all things, if we continue to practice, we'll get good at it. And even be genuine about it. You will receive your master's degree in forgiveness. Pay attention to what I did there. Master, as in Christ. You receive a master's degree or certificate from Christ. Let's review what Philippians says about practice. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me. Saw me do, then the God of peace will be with you. But we don't get saved and magically just be the source of all knowledge and wisdom. We have to practice. We have to pursue becoming that Christ. It's an intentional thing. It's employing measure to grow closer to Him, to becoming His likeness, to earn your master's degree in these things. So you can graduate from the University of Christ. Now, the first thing Paul says we're supposed to pursue is righteous living. To live righteously is to conduct one's life with moral standards that reflect our relationship to the Lord. We are representative to the kingdom of God in all that we do. We should mirror His way. By ourselves, though, we cannot live up to God's standards. Our best works are like filthy garments. However, to pursue righteousness, we gain that through Christ. He was blameless and free from sin, yet he took all that sin so that we could live and not die. Pursuing righteousness is being righteous. We could definitely never be perfect except in him. And while we make mistakes along the way, so long as we're pursuing Christ, we have righteousness in him. You know, we can't we get it in our heads that the path from this life to the next is a straight path. But the truth is, the path has mountains and valleys and forests and oceans. Life doesn't go like this. Life goes like this. And we all know that. To pursue Christ is to arrive, to arrive at your destination. The important thing is that you're going towards Christ in all this and not away from Him. Let's review Proverbs 21-21. Whoever pursues righteousness and unfailing love will find life, righteousness, and earth. You cannot be perfect or blameless, but simply pursuing righteousness makes you righteous. Throughout all this, it's crazy and ups and downs and sinning and, and doing well or not doing well. As long as that direction keeps turning towards Christ, we have righteousness in Him. You know, Jesus, Jesus has already arrived at the destination. He's there waiting for us. He has saved the place for us. We just need to get ourselves there. And everyone else stays here. 
be representative to the kingdom of God. Tell me, what represents the Lord's best? To be the clean vessel or to be the dirty vessel? Righteous living is being the clean vessel. We live righteously, people want to, want to drink from our cup. And their lives would be changed for doing so. However, if we're living in sin, who would want to drink from that cup? And if they do, won't we make them sick? Won't we lead them astray? You can't be surprised you haven't made yourself a presentable, clean vessel that God is not using you. Next it says to pursue faithfulness. Faithfulness is the unfailing loyalty that is repeatedly demonstrated towards Christ. It's understanding God's faithfulness helps us to trust in Him, to grow in Him. It gives us a sense of confidence and a willingness to share His love with others. This trust in God is faith. It's our handle on what we can't see. But we believe because we know the character of God. His character has always remained faithful to us. We can trust Him. He has shown us that we can. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors. It's what set them above the crowd. And when we look back at Abraham and Moses and David, we really see very flawed people. They make mistake after mistake. They lack courage and understanding. But where they stand out is their faithfulness to God. They allow God to use them repeatedly by being loyal to Him. Did they sin? Yeah, repeatedly. But they also kept turning and pursuing God. They kept turning back. The paths that they were on Next level crazy. Have you guys read some of the Old Testament stories? Their lives were definitely this. But they were heading towards Christ. They remained faithful to it. Romans 5 8 demonstrates to us why we are able to be faithful to Christ. It says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were while we were thirsty, while we were at our work. And if He will die for us while we were at our work, I think we can trust Him with everything else. I think we can be faithful. You see, it was His work. Just like it was His work on the cross that gives us righteousness, it's His faithful faithfulness to us that allows us to trust and be faithful in Him. It's always Him that's doing the work. It's always His glory. We just get to be a part of it. Pursuing Christ is righteous and faithful. Next it says we're to pursue love. Love is what binds everything together. Without it, we have nothing but a bunch of broken people. Not whole. Not complete. Jesus makes this clear in Mark 12. 29 to 31. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. 
noticing that Jesus had given him a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than you. Well said, people, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, you enjoy that kingdom as well. Now, when you read that, you, you, know, you, you see and you acknowledge that first part, and that's that something that I think most of us know at this point. We've been talking about it a lot, and that's that the main thing is to love God and love the neighbor. But what really strikes me here is that he tells the man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Love puts you close to the kingdom of God. I don't know much, but if you want to hear his well-done, good, and faithful servant, you better be making sure you're loving God in there. Don't just float around with this fuzzy feeling. You're supposed to pursue love. Intentionally employing measures to love God and love your neighbor. You're following the famous love chapter as we know in Corinthians. It speaks to just where the importance of love falls in the very human faith. First Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 6. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, talking about that, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three may remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So perhaps God has given you the gift. But is that what you're going to hang your hat on? What happens when you get older? Synapses aren't firing back. Maybe your memory starts to fade. Perhaps you'll no longer be able to keep. What use would you be now? Well, if you have love in your life, if you have love, if you have a personal loving relationship with Christ, then you are still incredibly useful. In fact, perhaps even the most useful you've ever been. You want to teach someone, children to love. That's a lesson they'll never forget. What about the gift of giving? Maybe, maybe God's made you incredible at making money. So, so all throughout your life, you've given abundantly to the church, to your neighbors. 
feed the need and help those who need financial help. But what happens when that money is gone? Is that what all your value is wrapped up in? But if you have loved and to continue to love, you will be close to the kingdom of God. You see, when Christ comes back, we won't need to get killed. We'll be here. All that will mean for all eternity is love. Use your gifts while you have them. Enjoy them. But do it in love, because in the end, that's what will be left. Loving each other in God really all that matters. Love comes first, and the result of that love is what calls you to, to use your gift. If you're struggling to find what your gift may be or how you're supposed to be serving, start with love. Really, truly have love in your life. Know love. Love others. And love God. When you do that, you'll find your passion. And you won't wonder what your gift is. You'll know. You'll be passionate. And you'll want to do it. And you'll love to do it. And you'll love others' love to do it. And you'll excel at it. Don't start with the gift and sprinkling some love. Start with love and find your true power in your gift. Just remember, those gifts have an expiration date. It's love that remains in the end. Love that's going to stay in. Next, we're to pursue peace. Peace will come a little more naturally as we are living righteousness, peace, loving God and neighbor. Studies have shown that people who have love in their life have better heart health. Being around trusted loved ones actually lowers your blood pressure. And that's in your kids, maybe not as much. It lowers your anxiety. Sounds pretty peaceful, doesn't it? Those with love have lower depression ratings, higher confidence, higher creativity, higher motivation. It's not hard to see how you find passion and love and what you're going to do for Here's the verse that confirms the peace that comes with pursuing a righteous life. Isaiah 32, 17. And the effect of righteousness will be peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. Quietness and trust forever. Can you imagine? Can you imagine thinking of a nap in that environment? Quietness and trust. Wrapped up safe in the Lord's arms. I don't make you sleep like a day. Finally, we wrap up verse 22 with enjoy the companionship those who call on the Lord with pure heart. So what is the main thing? Love God and love your neighbor. God says we're to be a clean vessel for his use. It's because we cannot pour from our cup that we do not have. The Psalm 23 talks about making our cup run over. This isn't about a life of abundance, but it's about overflowing into other lives. For you to drink, though, from my clean, pure cup, we must have companionship. We must come and join you. Notice, though, it says companionship with those who call on the Lord with pure heart. If I drink from someone's dirty cup, it's going to make me sick. If my cup is always next to others' dirty cups, my cup will begin to fill with the wrong thing. And no longer will I be of use to God. Those around you. Remember, it says to create distance from Guard your cup. 
protect what goes into it. We'll finish up chapter 2 now with these verses. 2 Timothy 2.23-27 Again I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fighting. The servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. And they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and speak to the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him through whatever he wants. So there are two sides to this point. One, it will be avoiding arguing with people with a foolish faith. Be kind. Teach and gently instruct those who oppose the truth of Christ's message. On the other side of that point, though, we will then be patiently wait for God to change their hearts. Does it say here that we will change their hearts, only that God can do that? If you're not doing your part and being kind and gentle and patient while preaching the truth, no one will want to drink from your cup, and God will not be able to use you. Let's review John chapter 3, 25 through 30. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, the man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to it. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. The joy is mine. And it is now complete. He must become greater, and I must become less. So Jesus is the groom, and we are his bride. The church is his bride. We belong and answer to him. So when you're dealing with another person, you're dealing with Christ's bride. Think about that for a minute. I'm not sure how you feel about your spouse when someone messes with him, but with my wife, I don't say well to If someone wants to address the concern with my wife and something she said or did, that's fine, but you better believe I'm watching from across the room and leaving your facial expression. If her facial expression doesn't say that she's being dealt with gently, there's a 100% chance I'm intervening and you are no longer uh, the person who has to treat my wife. Love you, baby. So don't mess with Jesus and Christ. Right? Treat him with respect and love. If they're in the wrong, can't we instruct them? But in the end, it's God's responsibility to change their heart. Gently correct and patiently live in the world. Notice the end there. He says, Christ must become greater and I must become less. See, we must empty our cups of us, so that we can make room for more of Christ. We must become less in order for Him to become more in our lives. 
So this evening I've stood up here and I've thrown a lot at you so far. And often I feel like this can sometimes can be a setback for Christmas. It can, it can be overwhelming. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot in the Bible. But it's overwhelming because we're always seeking that straight line, that straight path from this life to the next. We try to line it all together in a single file line. But the problem is, that's no different than trying to get into heaven and following the law. We had an entire Old Testament showing that that does not work. Christ died to change that. The path is not a single file line, it's only a destination. Our GPS is programmed to know where Christ waits, where Christ prepares a place for us. We all have different ways to get there. We're all going to get there at different times. And Christ patiently waits for us. And we all need to patiently wait for others as we get there as well. And as we walk down our path, we will sometimes cross paths with others. We'll meet along the way and we'll stop the companionship. Sometimes we'll disagree about which way to go at the fork in the road. As we go left or right. But what matters is we're all programming our GPS to the same place. Maybe you know going left of the fork will lead to a traffic jam in the road. And so you gently share that with someone. But if they choose to go that way anyway, they're the bride of Christ. Who's to say he won't have a refreshing cup for them while they wait in traffic? That's him. Not us. It's his work. Now, be ready, because he actually might call you to be the one who set up shop in the middle of that traffic jam and offer a refreshing drink to you. We need to be ready to clean vessel for his youth. Enjoy and enjoy love along the way. Continue. When someone stops along the way and needs a refreshing drink, be ready. Be clean and pure so that we can be refreshed from the Greek of the cup that God has overflowed in your life. So that can be renewed and strengthened to get to the destination. Be intentional. God has provided you with an abundance. He has filled your cup. Set up, set up a refreshing lemonade stand and wait patiently for people to stop by to drink. Don't offer them salt water. Offer them a fresh, clean drink that will strengthen them. Make sure you stop for rest along the way for yourself as well. Don't refresh yourself with a mud puddle. Right? Find a pure source of water. Other people have companionship with so that their pure and clean overflowing cup can overflow into your life as well. Sometimes you're going to be on a mountaintop, sometimes in a valley. But just keep pursuing. Just make sure that that pursuit is towards Christ no matter how hectic or crazy it becomes. To get a flat tire on the way, be intentional. Don't just throw on a donut tire. How are you going to get through mountains and valleys with a donut tire? Patiently wait and find the right tire, right? Patiently wait until you're strengthened and you're renewed to continue along this way. Be intentional about employing measures to pursue. And I'll finish with this. Remember the main thing. Love. Love is the fastest route setting on your GPS. Love alone puts you close to the kingdom of God. 
start everything with love first. And you'll be ready. You'll be close to the destination, which is Jesus. 